Turn in your Bibles to uh, somewhere, 2 Samuel, there we go, 2 Samuel chapter 9, I believe it is, yes, 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Um, I've entitled this message, if you want to write in your sermon notes, A Dead Dog Revived. A Dead Dog Revived. Now, how many of you ever have any stress in your life? Anybody ever have stress? Well, I found, I found an amazing diet for stress. For breakfast, you have a half a grapefruit, a piece of whole wheat toast, and eight ounces of skim milk. Then lunch is a four ounce lean broiled chicken breast, one cup of steamed zucchini, one Oreo cookie and some herb tea. For a snack, you eat the rest of the package of the Oreos, <laughs> a quart of Rocky Road ice cream, and a jar of hot fudge. And then my favorite, by this time, your stress will be gone. Dinner is two loaves of garlic bread, a large pizza of your choice, a large pitcher of root beer, three Milky Ways, and an entire frozen cheesecake. <laughs> and the reason your stress will be gone is you will be in a coma, <laughs> a sugar coma, and you will have no idea that life is even happening. I don't recommend this diet to anyone unless you're super stressed and you just want to blame me for the fact that you ate all that stuff. But anyway. I was thinking as uh, Jennifer was mentioning the Pastor Appreciation Month, and it's always a favorite month of mine. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just October is a good month. But uh, a young pastor had come to a church, and he was new there. And uh, every Sunday when he would finish preaching, he would meet the people at the door, and a little old lady would always come up to him and say, Pastor, you're something else. And this, he would say, thank you very much. And, you know, this went on for several weeks. Every Sunday, pastor, you're something else. And uh, finally, about after about four weeks of this, he finally said, you know, sister, I really appreciate you complimenting me that way. I really, that's really uplifting, and that's really great. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry, pastor, you misunderstand. When I say you're something else, it means you're not a preacher. You must be something else. Anyway, yes, there's many, many people in the world that have that gift of humiliation or whatever it's called. But this, uh, this is an amazing story because there are a lot of similarities between this story in 2 Samuel and the prodigal son. I know Pastor Darrell shared on that last week. And as I thought about this opportunity to preach, I was taken back to this story. And the Lord basically gave me four things that I want to share with you, and if you want to write these down, that's fine too. Um, I apologize, they don't, they don't rhyme, and they don't start with the letters of whatever word I'm working on here, so uh, I've, I've drifted away from the norm. But if you write the words wanted, welcomed, established, and blessed. Wanted, welcomed, established, and blessed. Now, what's the story about? 
David and Mephibosheth. I, I really wish that this would have been a story about David and Steve, but it's about David and Mephibosheth, which, uh, why would you do that to a child? But anyway, um, David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba and your servant, your servant, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Well, where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. That's my favorite part of this passage. He ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Heavenly Father, as we enter into this word this morning, I want to thank you for reminding us, God, that for some of us, the day we got saved was like the reviving of a dead dog. We were lifted up, transformed, and made a son or a daughter of the Most High God. So, Father, we celebrate that truth today. We thank you, God. We ask you to help us to understand how this really applies into our own lives. And how I pray that it will help us to begin to believe and act upon the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus. And that, Father, we will, we will speak differently. We will act differently. We will relate to people differently. And, Father, we will transform our world or circle of influence because we finally come to grips with the fact of who we are in Christ. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I find it very fascinating as I think about this story that David had been, his history with Saul was not a positive thing. 
Saul, when he realized David would be the next king, wanted to kill David. David had developed a very close relationship with Jonathan, who is Saul's son. They had become very, very close friends. And when Saul, Saul had died in battle, and Jonathan had also died in battle, at that time Mephibosheth was probably about five years old. When they heard, when his nurse, the, or you know, nanny, whoever, was taking, that was taking care of him, heard that they both, Saul and Jonathan, had been killed, the custom or protocol of that day meant that any surviving members of the, of the royal family were to be put to death so that there'd be no issue with a possible uh, taking back the throne or anything like that. So the nurse, the nurse probably thought, I've got to go and hide. I have to hide Mephibosheth because I'm sure he'll be next on the list as far as who needs to be killed. And so she picks him up and she begins to run. And the story goes that she tripped and fell. And when she fell, he flew out of her arms and landed and, and apparently hit his back in such a way that it did something to his legs and his ability to walk was now gone. So she picked him up and continued her journey and hid him. And it was many years. And this one day, the, I, I believe the Lord lays it upon David's heart to now begin to inquire. And he says, where is or are there any left of Saul's family? Now, if I was a servant and I heard that from the king, my assumption would be apparently he wants to make sure he kind of cleans up and makes sure there's no issues. And so he calls Saul's uh, servant in and he says, Ziba, I want to know, are there any left? And Ziba says, yes, there's one, the son of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth. And then David begins this amazing journey. And he says, I want him here. I want Mephibosheth brought to me. Do you understand that from the day you were born that God said, I want them. I want that one. I want that child. I want that child. I want that child here in my house. We are wanted. I'm not talking about your picture in the post office. I'm not talking that kind of wanted. Some of you may be there. I don't know. But God, it's, it's a positive thing. To be wanted is an absolutely marvelous feeling. How many of you have ever been unwanted? All right, now I want, I'm going to ask you a real serious question. How many of you in elementary school or worse yet, junior high, you got lined up on the wall? The gym teacher said, all right, Jack and Steve. I'm sure there was nobody named Mephibosheth. That I'm positive. All right, Jack and Steve, you're captains. Now you pick. And they start picking, you know. And you're standing there, and you just kind of know, if I'm not last, I'll be next to last. So you're standing there, and they go through everybody, and you're like the last guy left. And then the captains begin to negotiate. I don't want him. You can have him. No, it's your turn. you got to have him. I don't want him. You can take him. No, you can't. I don't want him. And finally then the, the, co the gym teacher steps in and says, all right, it's your pick, you get to have it. So you just proudly step out and go, no you don't, you like want to crawl underneath the tile. Because you're not wanted. You're the last one picked. 
Everybody knows you're worthless at kickball or whatever you're playing. And they, you know, they go, and then you put at the end of the line. Now you kick last. You're like a cripple. You're worthless. The world, especially the world of junior high, they are heartless. I mean, I did a breakout session yesterday with some junior high kids, and I was immediately reminded of those wonderful years. I think we could end the war in Afghanistan if we just sent a bunch of junior high kids over there. <laughs> They'd lay their guns down and say, please take them back, please. But this idea of being wanted, being wanted, that someone wants me. As we, when we waited for our first, our first child to be born, Eric, uh, our son, there was a, the, we wanted him. How many of you were wanted by your parents? How many of you were surprises? How many of you were, your parents wanted to take you back? <laughs> it didn't work. But you see, the message that we are sending children today, and I, 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 I have a real problem with this. We're telling kids that, you know, if you're not wanted, we can just kill you. We can abort you. There's no more horrible sense in the world than being unwanted. Want to be left out, just be considered, you know, not important. But David here is, is in many ways a type of the Lord, the Lord Jesus and a type of God himself, God the Father. He says, I want, I want this individual. I want Mephibosheth to come here. I want him to come here. And I think Ziba kind of, kind of emulates or is kind of a type almost of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand something. For a person to feel wanted, someone has to come and get them. Somebody has to step out of their life and want to go and say, you know what? God wants you. God wants you. It's different than the, uh, the teenager that got pulled over by a police officer for speeding. The officer said, I've been waiting for you all day. And the young boy says, well, officer, I got here as fast as I could. Um, <laughs> it's not like that. It's not like that. But you see, Christ came. Why did Jesus come? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When Christ came to this world, it was God saying, Jesus, I want you to go down there and tell them that I want them. I want them. I want them to be my kids. I want them to know. I want them to eat at my table. I want them to know what it means to be so loved and so wanted and so important that I'm willing to sacrifice your life for each one of them. The world is desperately, it desperately wants to hear that they're wanted, that somebody wants them. Why do you think young people get hooked up in gangs? Because a gang member came to them and said, we want you. You'll be a great gang member. Really? Yeah. And if you don't join us, we're going to beat you half to death. Well, that's an argument that kind of, maybe we should try that in evangelism. <laughs> You'd make a great Christian, and if you don't agree with me and you don't follow me, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> How effective would that be? <laughs> 
But to let people know that they're wanted, you, hey, God wants you. Really? Me? Too many people have the same response that Mephibosheth had. I'm just a dead dog. I'm crippled. I have nothing to bring to the table. I'm just a nothing. I can't do anything. I can't, I'm nothing. And David, David didn't even ask about that. He simply said, bring him here. Bring him to me. Do you see, how many of you were brought to Christ? I mean, somebody spoke to you and brought you to Jesus. It'd be everybody. I mean, very few people ever just kind of wake up in the middle of the night and go, well, I can't sleep. Uh, maybe I'll just get saved. <laughs> Who does that? No, we are brought. A zeba comes and finds us and says, hey, Jesus wants to talk to you. Jesus wants to see you. Jesus wants you to become part of his family. We've got to understand the, the, how this system works. God leaves us here. See, if, if God didn't need us to go and bring other people, in other words, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, the hands and feet of the Holy Spirit, so to speak, if he didn't need us to do that, the minute you got saved, you would die and go to heaven. Then church would be a very interesting experience because it'd just be hypocrites and sinners. There'd be nobody, you know, nobody here. But wanted. Now, try to imagine in Ziba's mind, because the second thing is that he was welcomed. He was welcomed. In Ziba's mind, Ziba has been, not Ziba, Mephibosheth has been hiding for years. He understood how the system worked. He understood the, the system of the royal family and how you eliminate any potential uh, threats and so on and so forth. And so he lived in this sense of fear. And I believe that one day, and I think he probably was waiting for this day, one day he heard, Mephibosheth, yes, it's Zeba. And he knew immediately, this is Saul's servant. Zeba had access to the king, David. Now what? And Zeba comes in and he says, David wants to see you. And, I'm, and Mephibosheth didn't have a lot of options as far as running away. What's he going to do, you know? It's not going to work. And I'm sure that a couple of Zeba's fellow servants came and picked him up and said, come on, we're going to David. And they brought him to David and laid him before David. Can you imagine the shame in that? Not even be able to stand in the presence of the king? To just lay there? And know that, you know, well, this should be the end. Look at what David says to him. And the king had him brought... When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Probably maybe on his knees or laying to one side. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. And David could sense that Mephibosheth was afraid. Because what does David say? Do not be afraid. 
I got to believe Mephibosheth did that. He was there laying before the king, and all of a sudden David says, don't be afraid. Mephibosheth was waiting for, the, for, the, for an executioner to come out and kill him. All of a sudden David says, don't be afraid. The years of fear and, and worry and so on, all of a sudden just... And now Mephibosheth gets very attentive, and he begins to listen. Don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth was not expecting that. Well, if I'd have known that, I'd have got dressed up. You know, he was, he was ready to die. David welcomes him. Do you know one of the things that I am so thankful for regarding God and the Lord is that it doesn't matter what you look like, what you smell like, how you've acted, what your history is. When you come and lay yourself before the king, the words you will hear are, don't be afraid. I'm going to start restoring some things in your life. You're going to eat at my table. I am going to elevate you. I am going to bring you to a place that you, have never, you never thought possible. And, I, you know, I appreciate the, the you know, men and women out there that, you know, preach that, that you know, faith gospel. And, the, and, the, and it's, it is, there's an awesome truth to that. There's faith gospel, the grace gospel, the, you know, I don't know about the health, wealth, and all that good stuff. But I know God may not make you rich, but he will make you awesome. He will make you saved. He will make you a son or daughter of the Most High God. David did not say, well, I'm glad I finally found you, Mephibosheth. I've been looking for you. I've got a little, you know, a little shack that you know, used to belong to one of the other servants. I'm going to let you stay there, so, you know, and then, you know, we'll bring food to you every so often, you know, as long as you don't get greedy, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can. But, you know, just, I don't want to, you know, out of, honor, out of respect to Jonathan, I figured I should kind of take care of you. That's ridiculous. Wouldn't that be terrible if, if you'd come to Christ and you'd, Repented, and Jesus said, well, glad you finally came. You know, you've lived a horrible life, and you're an embarrassment to me and the world. And I'm going to let you go to church, but it's a church, like, far away, where nobody's, nobody's going to know you. I'm going to put you in a little tiny church far away so nobody knows who you are. Do you realize that... How many of you are familiar with Nikki Cruz? Do you remember Nikki Cruz, who that was? He was, uh, he was the head of a, a major gang in uh, New York City. And he tried to kill David Wilkerson more than once. And David Wilkerson ended up leading that young man to Christ. And Jesus did not take Nicky Cruz and then go hide him somewhere because, you know, he had such a horrible life. What did he do? He made him an evangelist. He elevated him. He brought him to the king's table. The amazing thing about being welcomed by the king, being welcomed by Christ, is that now all of a sudden, 
your life is transformed. It's no longer a matter of, of being afraid or being, of feeling you know, downtrodden or feeling like you know, I'm nothing I'm a, or like Mephibosheth. I'm just a dead dog. I'm crippled. I can do nothing. I got nothing to bring. And David never even mentioned that. He said, I'm going to restore. How many of you have had things restored since you got saved? Do you have some stuff come back to you? Relationships, blessings, great things? Absolutely. It's how God operates. There's a restoration that takes place. He welcomed him. An assurance of safety. A place at the table. The celebration of arrival. I still remember the day that I held my son when he arrived. I welcomed him. Hey, Eric, welcome. And then Erica came. She was six months premature. Or six months, six weeks. Yeah, six months premature. I said, welcome, Erica. Yeah. <laughs> six weeks. But she did fit in my hand, my one hand. And I said, welcome, Erica. We've been waiting for you. Eric's driving us crazy, so you better be a good girl. We welcomed them. You know, how many of you have ever welcomed a child? They get a really nice room, don't they? You know, you don't set them up in the laundry room because it's convenient. We got a basket in there, they'll fit in there for a while and sleep in there. No, they get this amazing nursery created. If you, you know, depending on your economic situation, but, but you try to create the best place and make sure it's clean and, and it's got beautiful music and it's like just, wow, this little kid's a prince. And then as they get older, they decide that that's who they are. They're the prince or the princess and they decide to take over the world. But you see, that's because they were wanted and welcomed. And for Mephibosheth, he was welcomed. He wasn't put like in some back room somewhere. You know, well, we have the crippled section and that's over there. He was brought to the king's table. He was welcomed. Number three, he was established. David began to make some things happen. Provision, land, servants. Mephibosheth was then given resources so that he could then take care of the rest of his life. I want you to understand, I like that, I really like that video about the church. Do you realize that when you get saved, you get access to resources? Say, well, in some cases it could be financial. The church has helped people. We've helped people with finance. Through Jody and the Kids Pantry, resources become available, clothing, equipment. Fridays there's food. Resources. It's about being established as a Christian because once you enter into the family of God, you, you know, it, you don't have to go through like, you know, well, there's the customary initiation beating that everyone goes through because they're now part of our church. No, you enter into the resources. You get access to some amazing teaching, some phenomenal people that can pray. You get access to some people that will help your kids. You get access to some people that will help your teenagers. 
You get access to opportunities to worship God. You get access to this amazing building that we call church home. Do you understand the resources that come, that come available to you? The minute that you become established as a, as a son or a daughter of the Most High God, God begins to do some things in your life and give you opportunities that you didn't have in the world. Sunday mornings were not mornings of celebration. How many of you, before you started coming to church, just basically laid in bed and watched the news and got depressed all over again? Or you read the paper, the 500-pound Chicago Tribune, and finally you go, this is ridiculous. Where are the comics? Where's the sports page? Now that's depressing too. Let's just read the funnies. Throw the rest of it away. You laid there kind of wondering, well, what am I going to do today? I can't go to work. They won't let me in. What am I going to do today? You see, once you get saved, once you become part of the church, you have access to the family of God. That's amazing. I get to see some of my favorite little sisters here. Pat and Rose, and my twin sister. Teresa. Stand up, Teresa. I want to show them that you're my twin sister. Get up. Get up. Stand up. Stand up. No, really, stand up. Oh. I'm in so much trouble, but that's okay. You're my family. If I need to borrow something, I'm coming to your house. I need a car, yours is mine. Mine's not yours, but yours is mine. If I want to just enjoy myself, if I want to just have some fun, who do I contact? My church family, my brothers and sisters. How many of you have discovered that the family of God becomes closer than your biological family? Amen? Amen. There's something that happens when you enter into the family of God, because God begins to establish you in a massive family. And you're a son and a daughter. And I'm just, I'm just so thankful that heaven is going to be this wide open celebration place. Yeah, you're not going to walk in and say, oh, that's the biker section. You're going to have to be over here. I'm sorry. That's the biker section. Then there's the nerd section. They're going to be over here. They're over here by all the computers and they're working. So you're over there. Oh, you were, you're like a, you were like evil. You're like a gangbanger. Yeah, we, you're over here. Yeah, that, see those gates? Yeah, the fenced area? Yeah, you're over there. Oh, you had a lot of bad habits? Oh, that's another section. That's over there. You need over there. No. I... I, when, every time I think of this, I get just blown away by the fact that we're going to enter into heaven in glorified bodies. You'll all be six foot five and weigh about 200 pounds. <laughs> all the short people are going, yeah! <laughs> I heard that, Teresa. <laughs> but we're going to be welcomed in and established a new robe, a crown, a seat at the table. 
an apartment, a mansion, a place to live, established. Get ready. I believe God is just getting tired of watching the news. And he's about ready to go, all right, I've had enough. Bring them home. Those huge arms are going to go out and he's going to just go like this. And every Christian on the planet is going to end up in that embrace. And God's just going to bring us home. Get ready. Finally, and I've kind of touched on this, blessed. Mephibosheth's disability, his fear, his failures, the past needs were now under the table. They were under the table. The king's table. Just like our sins, out of sight, out of mind, as far as God's concerned, he became one of the family with all the rights and privileges that come with that. I think David and the prodigal son's father were very similar. The prodigal son's father wanted him home every day. I have a feeling that the day that son walked away was the day the father started looking for him to turn around. I don't doubt his father was hoping he would turn around before he ever got past, before he ever got out of town. But it didn't happen. So every day, the father wanted this child to return. He finally saw him that one day and he welcomed him. He reestablished him. He said, bring a robe, a ring, some new shoes. Let's clean this guy up. Let's get him ready because we're going to bring him back to the table. And blessed. Blessed beyond imagination. Blessed. So what are the blessings that come with being part of the family of God? Everything. Everything. I discover that the air seems a little fresher. The flowers are now part of God's just showing off. His trees. Last week I was in Colorado. The mountains are just purely God showing off. That's unbelievable. I'm riding in the plane. I'm up in the airplane. And I look out and realize, how in the world does this thing work? (laughs) I can't lift myself up let alone all these people in this airplane. How is this working? God, you're amazing. Keep up the good work. Please don't take a break. You know, (laughs) stick with this. And it took six hours for me to get out of here on Friday morning. I got there at the airport at, actually more than that. I was there at 7.30 to catch a nine o'clock flight. And through the course of wonderful situations, It was 3 o'clock before we took off. But I got to sit in the airport and talk to some very interesting people. They're, you know, yeah, if if you're bored, just go to the airport. Just go sit there. You'll listen to people complaining. I mean, it's just a wonderful experience. But I, I began to realize, you know, I'm just blessed. I'm just plain blessed. I got to fellowship with a, a fellow pastor out there in uh, Marino and got to play a little golf. And I'm convinced that God, God plays golf in Colorado. He just, that's where he goes to play. 
in ministry, got a chance to preach and minister in that church, and again, the people were just amazing. It's amazing. And I didn't know any of them except for the, the pastor. I, did, I had met him before, but I didn't know anybody in that church, and yet they were all brothers and sisters. And it didn't take very long, and all of a sudden, I'm just part of the gang. And Sunday night, they had a barbecue. Some couple was moving away, and so that we, you know, I got some real food, and it was awesome. And it was blessed. You know, the blessings of God are, are amazing. Take a moment. I love what Leanne shared this morning. Take a moment to realize who you are. Because God doesn't care who you were. He says in his word, I've forgotten that. Now it's who you are. Who you are. You're wanted. God wants you. He thinks he's crazy about you. He's welcomed you into the family. No one has ever prayed and said, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. Please take away my sin. And God goes, nope, not today. Talk about scary. <laughs> Wouldn't that be frightening? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Uh, no. What? No. I don't like you. No. <laughs> God doesn't do that. His word promises. Jesus, you know, the only people that bugged Jesus were the religious people. Everybody else, Jesus had open arms. He wanted them. He welcomed them. He established them. And then he blessed them. The woman caught in adultery. She's about to be killed. And Jesus says, Let he who is without, in other words, whoever's perfect, go ahead, start throwing. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Go ahead. And the stones began to fly, but they flew down to the ground. They all started thump, thump, thump. This woman, who was, a, who was, in essence, a dead dog, she was going to be dead, was instantaneously revived by Christ because he then said, where are your accusers? They're gone. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He wanted her, he welcomed her, he established her, and he blessed her. The woman at the well, very same thing. If we'll get a hold of this simple little message that the people in your world, in your circle of influence, they want a sense that they are wanted. Now, how many of you have people that you don't want? I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, okay, thank you. Put your hands down, we'll pray later. Um, but if we will get a hold of this idea that we need to function kind of like Zeba, we need to let people know that God wants them. God wants you. And you can be honest, I have no idea why, but God wants you. God wants you. And I want to take you to him. Let's kneel. And God will welcome them. And then God will begin to establish them. And you're going to get to have the fun of helping them get established. You'll get to bring them into the presence of God. You'll get to bring them to church. You'll get to bring them to small groups. You'll get to bring them to opportunities. And then they're going to feel 
and sense what it means to be blessed of God. And then life gets awesome. Would you bow your heads with please for just a moment? There's an old song that uh, usually was, I think Billy Graham used it a lot at the end of altar calls. But I like the, I like the truth of this old song because it, it's what Mephibosheth had to do in order to realize what it means to be wanted by David, to be welcomed by David, to be established by David, and then to be blessed by David. And it goes like this. All to Jesus I surrender all. To him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I'm going to sing this last verse, and as I'm singing it, if you're... If you're willing to say to God today, God, I surrender. I surrender. Lord, I know you want me, and I know you want to welcome me, and I know you want to establish me, and I know you want to bless me, so I receive that today. As I'm singing this chorus, I want you to stand at whatever time you feel would be good. And when we get to the end of the song, we'll sing the chorus one more time and pray, and I'll give you the blessing, and we'll be on our way. All right? I like the last verse. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power. Let Thy blessing fall on me. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Let's all sing it together. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Heavenly Father, that's our prayer. We just surrender. Thank you, God, that you want us. Thank you, God, so much that you want us. That you want to welcome us. 
Mephibosheth could have said, no, I'm not going to the king. I'm staying here and you can't make me and that's final. But he said, okay, I surrender. I'm done hiding. I'm done wondering. I'm done. Take me to the king. And Father, thank you that you welcomed us. When we bowed that knee, when we prayed that prayer, you welcomed us. And then you began to establish us in the family of God as a son and a daughter, not as an orphan, but a son or a daughter. And then, God, the blessings began to flow. You blessed us. Grace, hope, faith, a future. The blessings were amazing. So, Father, thank you that you love us so much and you want us so desperately to see that amazing table in heaven someday. And Father, we look forward to it, and we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. The blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks. Say hi to some of your fellow brothers and sisters on your way out. Love you. Have a great week.